0: This is the World That's Interesting Tech podcast, showcasing technologies, leaders and companies who aspire to make the world a better place for all of us. Coming up in today's show.
1: One of my favourite mantras is the bravest thing you can do is ask for help. Um, And sadly, a lot of these mental illnesses make it even harder to ask for help. (laughs)
0: Hello and welcome. I'm very excited today to be joined by Dr. Nick Pryor from Mindful. Um, Nick, it's very exciting to have you here. Thank you very much um, for coming along today. It would be great um, to learn a bit more about what Mindful is and, um, and your journey as to how you how you came up with this concept and what you do today. So perhaps if you would like to just um, introduce yourself first of all and tell us a little bit about, about what you do.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Scott. It's great, great to be here and um, yeah, so I think I'll probably start with the journey, but to give you a quick summary, I'm a doctor who's now specialising in mental health, working for the NHS. Um, I also um, have a diagnosis of bipolar that I've lived with for over a decade now. And uh, partly because of those two things, really, I find myself with Mindful trying to kind of create a bigger impact and to kind of help people in their kind of daily lives with looking after their minds. and. It's really been that kind of journey of kind of self-discovery, which sounds a bit cliche, but you know, of, of hitting a few failures, uh, quitting a few jobs, um, almost dropping out of university that have led me to kind of want to do something to help people kind of like me, but probably kind of five, 10 years younger. And And that's really the kind of what drives me to find some solutions for this kind of really what is now a kind of mental health pandemic and I think what Mindful is really trying to do is trying to get there before um, the illness it's trying to be proactive it's trying to be positive and it's trying to get people to realize that um, mental fitness is just as important as physical fitness just as what happened in the 90s when the motivation to look after your physical health got pushed up mainly because of the change in which the way in which we lived so or worked so we'd go from working on a outside um, moving around to living a sedentary lifestyle and then the combination of cheap fast food meant that people became very unhealthy that meant that people had to be proactive and I think we're at that point now that tipping point where sadly people's minds are being stressed so much whether it's to do with social media uh, the change in our kind of communities the rapid change in technology and the loss of kind of some of the structure and um, that we used to have has meant that we are seeing this point now where one in six people will present to their gp at some point in their lives with a mental health problem and so we want to kind of um get there stop that from happening and also at the same time build that resilience which is really just a kind of bank of happiness and positivity to actually prevent mental illness
0: yeah very interesting so there was some work i was working on a while ago um looking at the role of um emotional measurement within virtual reality to help improve um you know, many things very from kind of um mental health point of view but also from physical health as well and there was a startling um statistic i found kind of march march april last year in the us the number of severe mental health problems rose by 700 percent in just two months and i guess You know, when you started this journey, um, I would imagine that you hadn't, you you couldn't anticipate the rapid increase in severity and uh, kind of, I guess, um, some number of cases that we would see over the next twelve months. So, how has that kind of impacted your work?
1: Yeah, I suppose, kind of in a in a very selfish way, it's been quite fortuitous for us. Like with COVID, has has been that tipping point, I think, that has um, really put mental health into the kind of public domain to the point where we're seeing people realise this isn't just an, a kind of bonus or icing on the cake. This is something that is necessary and important to, to, for us. And, and this is shown probably most in the kind of B2B space where we're seeing a lot of businesses, big corporates, realising that they have to offer a wellbeing offering. It used mm-hmm. to be discretionary and HR budgets would never quite find the money when when asked for it. But now we're seeing a lot of these companies kind of have to offer it. And I remember my my wife works for L'Oreal and it was during the first lockdown and I was telling her I bet in the next couple of weeks you're going to be sent an email through with an offering. And um, then the one came through the next day. So <laughs> uh, yeah I think it it, it is we've been um, quite lucky in that regard. I think a lot of it you know when you're setting up a business whether it's tech or anything it's about timing and it's about why now and I think um but and an interesting, though the mental health space does tend to get quite crowded because it is a very it's kind of often quite a passion project you get a lot of individuals thinking they can change the world which is very very positive but equally it means there's quite a lot of kind of low quality badly poorly invested kind of um, businesses out there so it feels very crowded but when it, actually when you try and look at the quality of the products out there there, there isn't really much out there.
0: Mm. Well you you touched on a couple of very interesting points that I want to explore um, so we'll come back to the well-being in the workplace because the workplace is not what it used to be anymore um, nor is well-being um, but just more on the personal side you talk about these passion projects um, and it can be it be it can be quite difficult to take that leap of faith to do things that you are passionate about um and you know you can have people turn to you and kind of look look at you strangely it's like <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if we could all do things we are so passionate about but we have to have you know a job tell me how did you experience that in your life in this move
1: yeah that's a good question i hadn't really thought i think um certainly i think whenever you try and do something new, like, Oh, you know, you say to your friends or your family, I'm going to try and set up a new business. Um, uh, there's a lot of raised eyebrows. And I think from my point of view, it kind of took, I just had to prove, you have to prove a certain, um, stickability and, um, Mm. and, um, that it's not just a whimsical idea. And I think after kind of around six months, uh, people started to change their, their their view on what I was doing. It wasn't just a pet project. I, I'd also say that what really helps is, is actually, you know, to add, I mean, credibility is a big word, but, you know, if you can get other people to get involved with you, so there's two other co-founders of Mindful, and, um, and it just, it means that you can have a much more balanced um, skill set and actually suddenly what's just an idea in someone's head becomes a much more credible kind of business model with a nice product with a kind of consumer edge to it. Because I have set it out with two other guys, James and Ed, and, you know, I'm very much the kind of product, uh, kind of the, not the product, but the, the actual kind of idea, like how do we create good science into this product? Um, and a bit of a kind of, and then James is an advertising background and he's like, well, how do we make this product delightful and actually people want to use it? And then head is, well, how do we actually make this product scalable and, and get it out the door? And I think having those, suddenly getting a few more people involved makes it much more credible. But equally, I think oh, what I'd say in answer to that last, to that question is that it depends what you're trying to do. Like if you're trying to um, set up a whole new business and stuff like that, that that requires a certain leap of faith and a big commitment. But equally, what I would say to most people is, is that you can you can reframe most of your, job roles and any um, career path to actually be um, of kind of social impact. So whether that's kind of taking a lead on wellbeing in the workspace, whether that's taking a lead on recycling in the workspace, I think that I don't like these. A lot of people like to put that excuse out there. You know, it's all right for some, you've got the space, you've got the, the backing, but actually I think there isn't, if you're well and you're upbeat and you're passionate about something, you can apply it in many different ways.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think there's um, you only have to look around and see uh, the kind of increase in the number of people who are talking about, you know, purpose-driven, about um, passion, about um, what well, tech for purpose, is an example of that, I suppose. To feel like there's this, uh, there is a wave, there is a certain momentum that is that is coming right now. Um, so yeah, I, I still still think there's a certain reluctance. And um, if I look back through my career, um, the there was a wave like this that was um, you know, um, corporate uh, uh, responsibilities. Um, so um, when you were working within the corporations, those responsibilities seemed a little bit like lip service. Uh, we have to do them because the shareholders are asking for it. And we will make sure that we track you four times a year. Um, But this move towards purpose-driven uh towards well-being as well seems seems bigger than that yeah
1: yeah i mean i think i'm a little bit cynical still i think probably it's all about well actually what the shareholders are asking for now like suddenly it's got to a tipping point where the shareholders will get will have a problem if there isn't a well-being offering and you can't you can't be seen to be a dinosaur left behind not looking after your uh, employees because you know your brand will suffer I think going back to more to the personal, so I think there is also, you know, that capitalist view of the world where it's dog-eat-dog dog and actually as soon as there's any soft kind of-ness there, then that's got to be a loss in the, in the end profit line. And I think probably um, it's trying to demonstrate that actually, one, not only is it um, good just full stop, but also it's probably good overall for the profit line as well
0: there was some research and if i can dig it out maybe i'll stick a link in at the bottom underneath here but there was some research that shows that those uh, organizations that um, invest in the well-being of their um, staff and employees um, can actually outperform on on the bottom line anyways so do you think what do you think of of that is that
1: yeah i think i think that's i um I've seen some kind of quite anecdotal and, and small bits of research showing that. Um, and I think it, for me, it makes perfect sense. But equally, I think the other problem from an investment point of view is that it's probably, you know, a two or three year long kind of wait for that return. And, um, and people are quite short term, like in, in their outlook. So, but I, I think for whatever reasons, COVID, um, the prevalence of mental health, and, you know, we started the costs across even just the UK alone, um, in terms of absenteeism and, and presenteeism due to mental health is at over 20 billion like so it, it's a big number and it's only getting bigger and i think that all basically a lot of factors are aligning to mean that whether it's kind of um to do with the um actual performance of the workforce or whether it's to do with the profit of the company or whether it's to do with how the kind of overall emphasis culturally on well-being and looking after ourselves things are lining up and we have we've seen lots of companies for example natwest one just only a few months ago doubled its its budget for the well-being and 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 it Mm -hmm. so it's and i i I speak to a lot of people in this space and there's a really um brilliant guy called nigel jones who used to be the well-being partner at linklaters or he was head of well-being but a senior partner at linklaters and he had been campaigning for kind of 10 20 years and just getting nowhere it was all lip service no one would actually do anything and he is saying he's starting to see things kind of really change the last year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, from from what I've seen, the people I've spoken to, you have multiple angles where this kind of pays in. You have, like you said, the absenteeism, the presentism, you have the um, the effect of disengagement within a workforce. I did an article on that as well, um, which can cost you. So some of those hidden costs. But then you also have the kind of talent piece as well. You want to keep your people working well, you want to keep them there, and you want to attract people and keep them there because all of that has costs and impacts your performance and your bottom line. So yeah, this has all changed. But the thing I want to come back to um, that you mentioned earlier on, that role of the employer. Um, Now with with COVID, things have changed significantly pretty much everywhere you look. and one of the things that is coming up a lot in these conversations is that when you when we were all working in offices those of us who work in offices there was the the heating the lighting the the air the environment was carefully managed to give us optimum safe working environments but now we work from home um you know we could be working in a <laughs> in a little dungeon of an office where we don't get enough light we don't get enough air and it's pretty cold um so there's the there's a physical side of things which i think employers are going to have to really embrace figure out how they deal with that but then there is that mental health as well isn't there how do you see that role evolving yeah
1: i mean you're right there is a physical health point side but i, I actually think the mental health side is much bigger i mean at the end of the day why are we um working for home now more it's, it's to do with the blunt tool of dealing with COVID, which is effectively let's stop us socializing face to face and fundamentally we are um innately Um, very um, interactive species we rely on the tribe we rely on those interactions to kind of bounce off each other to get motivated to dissipate stress often and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people are finding the first lockdown there was the novelty um, of working from home there was obviously the stress of COVID but there was the novelty of working from home you know only maybe falling out of bed 10 minutes before nine um, finding you've you've saved a couple of hours due to the commute, you've saved some money because you're not of the commute. A lot of things were kind of really stacking up where people were saying, "God, this could be it forever." But I, I really feel the narrative is changing, and people have found as um, the monotony and the constant cycle of just being on site in one place with the same two or three people mm. is really affecting people's not only their mental health but also just gen- more general things like motivation, um, feeling more stress drinking more alcohol i think the shock to the system is only just starting to to feed through from a mental health point of view and that's why mm-hmm. if you look at all the curves you're going to see like the actual physical health implications of covid will, will kind of die down in the next year or two but the mental health will peak in a year or two
0: yeah yeah i see that too i mean we just um we have uh, three small children and uh, we were very worried about the the mental development as well as mental health of telling them to keep away from people (laughs) it's not a good thing to tell developing minds that humans are scary and should be kept away from so these things I think there's a long there's a very long tail on this and from the UK point of view um, from what I've experienced it hasn't been very well equipped from the kind of um, um, health service point of view of dealing with mental health I mean, it's, it has evolved, but I think there was a study I read that in 2019, 11,000 mental health nurses were lost due to budget cuts. Um, so what do you, how do you see the role of technology yeah. picking up some of that gap? And it's not even a small yeah. gap anymore. It's an enormous gap.
1: Yeah, I think you, well, you've, you've started at exactly the right point. So fundamentally, uh, we are really under-resourced in terms of staffing. And you know, that takes years and years to kind of build up that gap. And actually the costs of we're seeing this across the whole of healthcare actually, but mental health is just one example. But the the costs are getting are spir- are spiraling across the West um, because we're living longer, we're living more unhealthy lives, et cetera, et cetera. And actually you know and as a proportion of gdp the co- you know the nhs um, has only gone up over the last kind of 20 years if you look at the overall trends so we're going to see that actually um, the government i think isn't going to be able to provide absolutely everything and actually innovative small new businesses are going to have to kind of fill the gap even if maybe they're actually end up being funded or you know by the nhs but i don't think the nhs is going to be you know it's a massive bear moth of a of a tanker kind of moving along um, and it's going to be very difficult to find that innovation through the NHS. So I think companies like Mindful and um, other kind of talking therapy ones like AISO, and there's a whole range of brilliant um, companies coming out now, and I think we're going to have to fill that gap, and we're also going to have to really focus on prevention. Um, uh, if you, you know we, We've seen heard a lot of public health um, kind of spokesmen recently, but the public health people love to always say prevention is better than cure, and I think uh, that mantra is going to be running through like how we, we tackle um, all health problems going forward. Um, and I think that's well, what I, I love about Mindful is, is that we can be positive. We're not targeting people who are ill. We're targeting people who are struggling maybe, or, but equally are just then living their normal lives, but wanting to kind of look after their minds. And um, it might be worth here just saying briefly just what our approach to mental health and kind of no, please,
0: please do, that'd yeah. be great. This is next so, on the list, you yeah, know, tell me more about what it is, the science yeah. behind it, how it all works, <laughs> so let's do that now.
1: So yeah I'll, um, yeah, I'll quickly give you an overview, but basically we're trying to create uh, a, a product um, that basically after being used for three to six months to a year will have turned out a very personalized mental fitness routine for the user. So we know that the brain is very complex. It's got 9 billion neuronal connections in the frontal cortex. Um, No mind is the same as any other. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. There's no silver bullets. We need to find something that works for an individual. So we've kind of gone um, really down that line and said, right, well we need to create... um, the kind of product that allows people to discover what works for their mind. So we, we've done a kind of front end of the app, which is just a really a positive scrolling experience where we've identified hundreds of ideas um, that are good for the mind. People can scroll through those ideas very easily, click on one, listen to a two-minute audio saying why it's good for the mind and what we'll be doing next if you want to integrate this into your routine. And if they want to, then they can say, right, I'll put it into my routine, at which point they'll get a drip feed of content for a month That's just prompting them to start trying to get that into their routine. And um, the other thing to say is is that we don't, you know, we think, you know, Headspace has done a wonderful job of of kind of getting meditation out there to millions of people who wouldn't have done otherwise. But at the end of the day, you know, meditation is only one part of your mental fitness. You can't, meditation isn't going to cure all your problems. You need to find increments across the board. So what we want to do is allow people to kind of collect um, probably five to 10 different things that become their routine. And we support them to integrate that. And um, the other thing, of, you know, on the headspace thing is also like, for example, calm is a, another, a big, highly mm-hmm. well-being um, competitor. And they, my co-founder James always likes to say, well, what if I don't want to feel calm all the time? <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's a big thing for us is kind of <laughs> offering that broad approach so that people can find something that works throughout their lives, not just at certain moments.
0: Mm. very interesting and I have to say the one that um, caught my attention as I was scrolling through this positive scrolling experience yeah now you mention it um, I totally get it as I scroll through your website I found it very kind of welcoming it wasn't intimidating it was very easy to understand and it was a positive experience to scroll through Um, it was very simple to understand it but one jumped out at me and that was being mindful with half a pint
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't
0: find that on Headspace or Calm, I'm sure.
1: No, and I think um, you know we've obviously got to be careful, but equally we are. That's what allows us. We're, we're targeting a a well audience. We're not targeting people, and um, we you know there aren't. Yeah, we don't want to be too. We, we found the well being space as a whole can be a bit too, um, you know, well noises, kind of candles, uh, yogis, gurus, whatever, and actually. A lot of, and, and, and this is interesting when you find, look at Carmen Headspace, they, they're very good at retaining people once they get there, but they don't get a great conversion. So they only get, once they get people on onto that, they only get 4% who, who actually conferred. And for me, that makes sense because actually they're targeting a very niche audience um, because they're offering a very specific offering. Whereas we've, we want to be that more rounded one where we can be a bit cheeky, we can be a bit more real, I suppose.
0: Hmm. No, it's very interesting. So um, there's two more angles I want to explore. One is kind of what the tech is and why, how digital can help. And the other thing is more on the kind of medical side. Um, and you, you span both roles, which is really interesting. So let's come back to digital in a second, but talk about the medical side. Um, there has been, I have heard it said in, in interviews, that um, one of the challenges in the kind of med tech, health tech space right now is there's so many startups who, who want to come in and do something good, and their intention is good. But there's so much risk that that brings because, well, the medical space is very well regulated, and uh, there's all these things that you should or you should not be doing, and there's risk of losing data. Or, you know, what is the intended use and how can, can things be abused or mis- um, misused, um, either intentionally or accidentally? how do you how do you look at that do you should should there be regulation around this kind of um uh, technology this kind of application you're working on
1: yes so i mean i think uh fundamentally yeah it's it's very personal data We're, we're trying to engage with people in their in their their kind of daily routines which and they actually might kind of be giving away information that they wouldn't normally give to some of their loved ones so i think even though it's not an illness space it's still a very um kind of sensitive um space so i think well, fundamentally, it's, you know, it's always the anonymized um, kind of rule versus kind of giving out any actual individual data. Um, and I think we, we I think what is you are touching on a really important point, because when you're starting up as an early business, business you don't have the funding or the infrastructure to to actually put in place necessarily rigorous enough um, kind of structures to protect people's data. Um, we're actually very careful on that point. I mean, our, our, our um, founding chairman, who only really came in a few months ago, is um, he's an advisor to the World Health Organization and Ofcom um, on ethical um, use of data and and communications and stuff. So he, we have to find that line between yes, we need to keep moving forwards, but also be be sensible. Um, but I think ethical um, tech and um, is really important for us so at the end of the day what are we trying to do we're trying to create positive behavioral change um gambling companies are trying to create negative behavioral change but they're the same principles that they're trying to apply that like we're trying to use clever behavioral science and make a lovely pretty um product to get people to do something so we are very careful with how we so one of our big one of the big problems i mentioned earlier on with and mental health is is this addiction to social media and the dopamine rush so we're very careful about making sure we we don't want to create an app that's so addictive that people come back to it multiple times a day we are also very focused on creating our, our initial tagline in the first couple of months of setting up mindful a year ago was the app to get off apps we want to create an, an app that gets people doing things in the real world and gets them out of the digital world which sounds a bit perverse for an app to say that, but actually it can work if you get the right balance. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's in the, it's hugely in our minds. I think to be perfectly frank, we probably, you know, are, um, we have to find that line between, you know, actually getting something out the door and not, but we are very careful with at the moment we don't use any, um, so for example, our data on our website, for example, is all anonymized and actually we, and we and we don't know anything just because we decided it's not worth even going down that route where we can just track individuals um, specifically. Of course, you can all these kind of getting them to tick certain boxes and stuff like that. But I think at the moment we just want to see how people are interacting with the product. We don't um, and we we've got a good enough interaction with our target audience that we don't need to be knowing exactly how people are following through each each use of the app. Hmm. If that hmm. makes any sense.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. It does. Um, it's, a, it's an area of interest that I think is only, for me, growing. The more I hear about this, it's just growing even more. Um, so, um, from the kind of technology point of view, from the digital point of view, um, again, in other interviews, I've heard pe- heard doctors say that um, whilst the face-to-face is, is invaluable, digital can sometimes actually be more effective. Um, so tell me more about kind of what you're aiming to achieve with you know, it's digital distribution and digital reach.
1: Yeah, so I think I, I'll answer this less so from Mindful because we don't really do face-to-faces with clinicians mm-hmm. for that, but um, yeah, really interesting at the moment, I'm hearing more and more psychologists saying that actually um, video calls that they find they can engage more with um, their patients. There seems to be a bit more confidence, you know, the user might be in their own room, they don't feel quite the same, like, um, hierarchy they might feel in face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're seeing some big, like, positives. And um, there's another really interesting one is that AISO, which is a big um, um, CBT provider across the, the country, they don't even do, fa- they just do instant messenger. Uh, and that creates even less of a, you know, people can can write in, in a message much more candidly and much more openly than they can even um, face-to-face on mm-hmm. Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, they, and that, what's powerful about that is that they've then got all the data in, in written in words directly from each session. And they've, done over, they've got over a million sessions of CBT now. And they're starting to be able to, from my point of view, they're doing loads of stuff with the data, which is of value. But the most interesting one for me is uh, they're starting to think that they can phenotype different types of depression because they've got so many cases. They can start to see that actually, and, and once you can do that, then you can, might be able to start actually applying specific types of therapy to specific types of depression which are more effective than, than what we've got at the moment so no there's really interesting stuff out there and i think overall i'd say that psychologists have been surprised to how much they can do there is a still an old school um grouping probably more the psychoanalysis side of things who really struggle to accept that so okay. but i think the data is really starting to show that it is effective
0: mm-hmm. So uh, Yeah, I think we've talked quite a bit about what's happened in the last couple of years and how things have changed uh, for you and for Mindful. Um, let's think forward maybe two, five years. Um, so what do you expect to see? What do you want to change? And when it comes to these magical United Nations um, SDGs, um, Sustainable Development Goals that we're aiming to achieve by 2030, what do you see there? I'd love to know your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so I think... You know, we could. I could. Um, I'll come to the more kind of peripheral ones, but I'll start with the core ones, which I think it's relevant to to what Mindful do, is doing in mental health. But I think, um, you know, obviously, good health comes in there, and I, and I think it's goes back to what I said a bit before. But what we're finding is is that the intensive costs of of new medicine and the you know the rising um, life expectancies and the increasingly unhealthy lifestyles we lead means that we need. To find kind of cheap ways of kind of preventing a lot of illness, and I think tech is the obvious way to do that. It, it creates this opportunity for scalability and virality, and for getting what is technically um, not that expensive to create a beautiful, lovely app with wonderful content that just hits, that just nails that behavioural change. And that you know that might end up costing you a million, two million pounds, but if you can get that out to hundreds of millions of people, that suddenly means. That this is very accessible and very cheap resource um i think on the, the good jobs and economic growth um is, an, is relevant also i think we're we're targeting b2c uh we personally feel that people's mental fitness is very personal and that the kind of job environment isn't the right place for that to be led from but equally we would be focusing on work-life balance with some of our ideas and how we're helping people improve their mental fitness making them kind of more aware of some light touch cbt um light touch psychology understanding failure understanding vulnerability these type of things will actually help people make better decisions in the workplace um and then as well, i suppose economic growth you know if you've got a, a healthier population that's only going to um, improve economic growth in terms of um some of the other ones i think you know a lot of what we are preaching in terms of kind of is this biopsychosocial model. So people's mental health is very broad. It involves biological factors, psychological factors, social factors. And a big one for us that we've noticed is this loss of community. And COVID has obviously had a big impact on that. But I think we would hope to help support people to kind of make those steps, like call grandma, go to the local um, gardening club. Go to the local walk club, meet a friend in your local community. Those are the type of things we're going to be, be trying to help people do and achieve. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, there are others here. Quality education. Fundamentally, what are we trying to do? We're trying to um, educate people to make better decisions for themselves. Um, so I think what we'll be touching on a lot of these, and um, but primarily... Um, I think it's really the kind of good, the good health obviously makes the most sense, but um, Mm -hmm. even life and land, I'm not quite sure what that goal stands for, but I think one of our core attributes or core pillars of mental fitness is nature. It's something that we think is so important that it's one of only six of our core pillars because we think Mm -hmm. getting people outside into into the green, seeing people, seeing something external growing, seeing something outside of their own, inner turmoil can be so powerful so yeah there's loads of things here i think that we can kind of help with and support
0: yeah i think that nature thing is so important i mean when i'm having a bad day the hardest thing i want to do the hardest thing i find is to get out of my seat and take myself into a new environment Mm. whenever i do it's the most powerful thing i could ever do it really is just getting outside is even if it's raining or snowing or whatever so powerful
1: yeah and i I love that example of whether it you know I think the weather can be such a powerful thing. And actually it's weird, we have it at our fingertips. We can see what the weather's going to be doing in two hours. So I often think one of my favorite things to try and get people to change is actually making the most of each day's weather. So, you know, that one bit of, that one hour of it opening up and it being a a beautiful, crisp blue sky. Like we we very rarely make that, our plan our day around that. But actually, why don't, I just don't, you know, why don't
0: we? Interesting indeed, yeah. So if, if um, any of our viewers want to kind of get some inspiration about how they, can, how they can help some of the issues you've been talking about, maybe they've got their own challenges that they're trying to deal with, where would you point them? What advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, so I think um, specifically around mental health, um, we, we're, we're probably not the service for you if you're acutely unwell. Um, But what we are is there for you when you're in that process of recovery and well enough to engage with these things. You know, if you're really depressed or really anxious, trying to create a new habit is really stressful and actually can often exacerbate the situation. So if you're feeling ill enough to think you need help, ask for help. And and that's with professionals. You know, One of my favourite mantras is the bravest thing you can do is ask for help. Um, And sadly, a lot of these mental illnesses make it, even harder to ask for help. So when you're depressed, you don't think you deserve help. When you're anxious, you're too scared to ask for help. And when you're psychotic, you don't think you need help. So if you think you need help, just go, go, go for it, OK? And, and I, I would say there are some brilliant resources online. Every GP practice now has a kind of community well-being and first access point for people with mental health problems. So I, that would be my first point of call. OK, excellent.
0: Well, thank you very much um, for everything you've shared with us today. Um, I will, we'll wrap this up, but there's always, at the end, I always like to ask one question and, um, you don't have to answer, but it's, it's over to you. It's not a difficult one at all, but it can, it can catch you off guard. The question is just simply, is there anything that you'd wish I'd asked you today that I haven't and anything else that you want to share?
1: Um, I think, yeah, I think the only thing I would, no, I think I've enjoyed the conversation very much. It's kind and it's been quite kind of, um, varied across the kind of mental fitness and mental health. I think, um, overall, um, I suppose I would, I I think it's always important to say that I did mention it very briefly that, um, that I do um, have a diagnosis of, of bipolar. And I think probably the last thing I'd say is, is that, um, being able to talk openly whether it's something kind of sounds quite serious like bipolar or if it's something stressful and this feeds into the kind of asking for help but it is always better to over communicate than to under communicate and um, I see it all the time and because one, by the time you're um, really ill it, it gets so much more difficult to, to manage and that. so um, I would know, err on the side of caution, speak to a loved one, get a sense check of where you are, just with someone else, other other than just in your own mind. That would probably be my
0: last point. Okay, that's brilliant, thank you. I'll uh, keep that there and we'll leave it there. I'll just say for anybody who's watching, if you've enjoyed this, um, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's plenty more videos there that hopefully will inspire and interest you. And, And on that, Dr. Nick Pryor, Thank you very much for your time. I'll make sure I stick some links in to the projects that you're working on for Mindful. And uh, I'll just leave you there. Thank you so much.
1: Great to chat, Scott. Thank you.
0: And that's it for today's show. As usual, a big thank you to our guests for joining us on the show. And a big thank you for all of you for listening and tuning in. If you want to find out more about technologies, companies, leaders that are aspiring to make the world a better place and aligning to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, check out our website, wellthatsinteresting.tech. You'll also find information below in the show notes that will help you find us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn and of course Facebook.